0: Welcome to this special half episode of Startups to the Rest of Us. It's not half an episode in terms of length, it's half an episode in terms of the numbering Back since the early days, whenever we had an episode that maybe didn't fit in to, you know, a standard startup for the rest of us format, we would add a 0.5 to it. And that's an indicator that maybe it's an episode that will expand your horizons and get you thinking about something in a new way. Or maybe it's one that you get five or 10 minutes in and you decide, you know, this isn't for me and I'm going to wait for next Tuesday's episode. But today's episode is the webinar that Tracy Osborne and I did for Tiny Seeds Fall 2021 Application process. And while I'm guessing you know it by now, Tiny Seed is the first startup accelerator focused on SaaS bootstrappers, and we are running our fourth application process. And Every time we do an application process, we get a lot of questions. And in fact, the last information session, it's just a listener Q&A, audience Q&A. We did it on YouTube and we live streamed it. And the last one we did was about a year ago and it was just packed. It was a solid hour of really interesting and thought-provoking questions about the program and about thinking about whether someone should apply and about the terms and about how we're different than revenue-based financing and should I crowdfund or what's the difference between crowdfunding and and taking money from Tiny Seed? And just a lot of really intriguing questions. And coming back this year, I commented to Tracy before we started streaming that I wonder, is it possible that we actually have new questions or is it going to be a rehash of last one? And sure enough, a lot of new, interesting questions, and so what you're about to hear is Tracy Osborne and I live streaming to—I don't even remember what the numbers were—80 to 100 people, and video has gotten several hundred views since then. And we are asking some commonly asked questions about the Tiny Seed program, about our terms, as well as some you know less frequently asked questions that were just being asked live in rapid succession. I think we go through 20 or 30 questions. During the time, So again, hope you enjoy it. If you don't, it's easy enough to, to move on and there'll be another regularly scheduled Startups for the Rest of this episode next Tuesday morning. So I hope you enjoy this conversation and this Q&A with Tracy Osborne and I as we discuss all things Tiny Seed because our applications are open just for another few days actually through this Sunday. So obviously if you're a SaaS app doing at least $500 a month in revenue, I'd encourage you to check it out. TinySeed.com slash apply. people are coming in. Look at this. Seven, nine, 11. Isn't going to be interesting to hear me. (laughs) is going to dance and I'm going to count.
1: Yeah, I know. The world's most interesting webinar is me dancing, you counting.
0: Yeah. So we have have several hundred people registered and we'll give folks just a minute or two to pile in. Looks like we're about to cross 50 attendees, which which is nice. This is our first um, application process that is six months after the prior one. The prior three were uh, spaced a year apart. So it's it's an interesting kind of new experiment for us. Yeah. And I think, you know, how, how are you feeling so far?
1: Yeah, it's, it is really interesting, you know, evolving the program because we had like a good two years of kind of getting everything in place. And so now we're, start, we're starting to make changes. And I think that uh, it's really exciting. I'm really excited about being able to work with more companies I'm really excited about expanding tiny seed, um, like having like multiple rounds at once is going to be an interesting challenge to try to see how that goes. Uh, so a lot of this just kind of like, what's going to happen. We're going to, we're planning as much as possible, but you know, it's also being aware that you could plan all you want. Um, and then, uh, we just have to see how things happen. I'm very excited for the future year and I think it's going to be awesome.
0: Yeah, it's like any other startup. You know, a lot of a lot of the stuff we do are are tested experiments based on um, some intuition, but also some information we have. Because you know, we we never overlapped six months, but our first program overlapped two months with the second year, and our second one I believe overlapped a month due to COVID or something. So we we have had overlap um, before. Wait, hosts, there's a there's a poll up, but hosts (laughs) and panelists can't vote. I was just (laughs) I was just about to vote.
1: I'm curious. What would you answer, Rob? Well, what I, I, part of the accelerator program is most valuable to you? Single choice, mentorship, community or funding?
0: Well, I'm not going to say it yet because it'll it'll stuff the ballot box, right? People oh, be that's like, a good "Oh, point. that's
1: the answer." Yeah. I'm yeah. curious
0: once once we see it uh, the responses. I'm curious for us to weigh in. Mm-hmm. All right. I feel like um, things are good. And we should probably get rolling. We're a couple minutes in. So welcome everyone to this Tiny Seed information session. Um, it's great to have you here. And uh, you know, this will be recorded and on YouTube for folks who may not be able to make the entire thing, or if you know of a, a friend or founder who's considering, you know, who couldn't make it, um, it'd be great if you'd pass this along. I am Rob Walling. I'm the co-founder of Tiny Seed and the co-founder of Microconf and the host of Startups for the Rest of Us. And um, I'm really excited to chat through some questions today. And to my right is Tracy Osborne. She is Tracy Makes on Twitter. Tracy, you wanna give yourself a couple sentence bio there?
1: Yeah, hi everyone. I, well, as mentioned, I'm Tracy. I'm the program director of Tiny Seeds. So I kind of run the day-to-day operations of the program and kind of keep everything rolling and on time and the lead person for questions and helping founders out and kind of booking events and all that kind of jazz. Um, previously I ran a startup called Wedding Lovely, um, which was shut down after like eight or nine or so years. That's a whole story. There's a microconf, um, talk I did on that, on that story. Uh, but I love entrepreneurship. I'm also a author, self-published author of one book. And then I'm also, um, my most recent book, Hello Web Design has come out, uh, was published by No Starch Press and came out a couple months ago. So do a little bit of everything, but the day to day job is running the accelerator program um, and keeping basically all the trains running on time.
0: Very good. And last year when we were going to do this information session, you know, we we blocked out an hour for it, and I remember we were a little panicked that maybe we're only going to get like four questions and run to twenty minutes and then run out. Um, and last year at you know, fifty-nine fifty nine, we were still frantically asking questions. So I don't wanna belabor uh, you know, too much upfront information. But um so I'm gonna assume that folks who are on this have at minimum read you know, through at least part of the tiny seed FAQ, that they understand that uh, you know our terms are 120 thousand for the first founder, 60 thousand for the second, 40 thousand for the third, for between 10 and 12 percent equity, depending on the stage of your company. So those are the investment terms. But Tracy, you want to give folks an overview, you know, really of what the what tiny seed does for people, what the accelerator year looks like, just what the program offers, because funding is is not, not only I, I would say not only a part of it, but it's a small part of it. You know, a lot mm-hmm. of companies that come into tiny seed. Don't need the funding. And it's more for all the other stuff that Tracy's about to talk about.
1: Yeah. Like Tiny Seed, I know, the funding is nice, but um, we, uh, we're we not just investors. Like we really believe in the accelerator model. We, model, we really want to spend that accelerator year that people are in the program to to take them. What is it that you say, Rob, escape velocity? I like using that term, take them to yep. escape velocity. You know, you're already going up, and we want to just ex- accelerate that curve. So it's a year-long program. Uh, When people start the program, we start off with the first three months of what we call the Tia Seed Playbook. So we are devoted to SaaS. We are very focused on SaaS. And the Playbook is um, the Tia Seeds team's uh, opinionated advice on some of the biggest topics that affect most businesses that we fund. fund. So things like pricing and... um, let oh, see, onboarding, and we do some design sessions, and we have things on MA and fundraising. So the first third of the program we're saying is basically like education. And then we roll into bringing on mentors. Uh, we have some of the best mentors in SAS as a part of Tennessee. We have both experienced founders like uh, the Basecamp folks, Rand Fishkin of Moz and uh, Spark Toro uh, Laura Roder of... Um, Oh, Laura Rooter. is Magic uh, meet, Bell, right? Meet Edgar. No, meet Edgar. Okay, sorry. Paper Bell. Yep. <laughs> Paper Bell. That's what it was. Yes, Paper Bell. And we also have subject matter experts like April Dunfer for positioning, um, and uh, uh, Samuel Hulek for uh, onboarding. So we have a, like a whole roster of mentors. We bring those in for mentor meetings throughout the year. We do Q and A's with them. People get like want to want to help with these mentors. Uh, we also have a Slack group, you know, we have a little online community. Um, hopefully this year we are going to be doing in-person retreats so people can get together in person and we can do a little bit of work, a little bit of play together and kind of form the connections between all the people who are in the accelerator program. Uh, anything else I'm missing in terms of the program?
0: No, I mean, that's, those are the, the details of it. I think, you know, the, the high level is it's funding, it's mentorship and advising, and it's an incredibly strong network and kind of anything you want to do we know people who have done it or who can give you advice on it or whom you can you know we have vetted resources that you can hire and then it's the community it's a super tight-knit community i mean much like y combinator before us where you'll hear founders go in there saying they they found more value from the actual community than other aspects of it I and mean, we you know with this batch this is our fourth batch we're funding we're going to be north of 60 companies funded and these are ambitious B2B SaaS startups, you know, in the six and seven figures of annual recurring revenue. And they're all, they're not venture track. They're not looking to, you know, become billion dollar companies. So they're just like you, you know, like you in the in the audience who's watching this. And there aren't I don't know of another place, you know, MicroConf and Tiny Microconf became kind of the the worldwide hub for that. And Tiny Seed is the fund and the accelerator for that. And so that's if that's your track, like it's the it's the place to be. Yeah. All right. We already have questions poured in, which is great. Um, Udit Goenka, sorry about your name, my pronunciation, I'm sure I'm, might be Goenka. Um, Can we be a part of Tiny Seed for the mentorship in the community without accepting investment or selling equity? Raising money is not our primary objective due to the stage we're at with our company. And I think, as I said before, I mean, I guess I didn't mention numbers, but in our last batch, batch, about 75 to 80% of the companies didn't actually need the money. They didn't do it for the money. They were in that 30 to 100,000 MRR range. They didn't need a, the, the R-120K. They did it for the mentorship, for the community, for the network, for all the other things that you're looking for. So the answer is no, we can't. We're, we're, we're not a nonprofit. You know, we can't provide the mentorship and the network and all that for no equity um, because there would be no, we would be out of business next year, right? Um, so Uh, That's that. Uh, Paul Loeb has a question. I read on the website, the funding can be used to pay the founder's salary at a rate of a typical software engineer. Hmm. However, that amount is guaranteed to be greater than 120K. How does this work? Tracy, so A, we need to update...
1: Yeah. So there was, was um, old terms. It, It's been updated. Uh, it was insubmittable. It snuck into the description for oh, the last, okay. last form. So I updated that this morning. We've updated our terms. So in, the salary cap is no longer set at a um, software engineer's salary in the closest city. That was too nebulous. It was too hard to kind of figure out every city and there's lots of situations and whatnot. So we've actually updated the salary cap. Uh, across the board for every previous company and future company to $250,000. So that's a quite a high salary. Obviously, it's not a salary setting is a salary cap. So your salary can be anywhere below $250,000. When you reach the point of that, you know, that salary, and you know, you're Sorry, if it's successful enough that you want to pay yourself more, then you can issue dividends, and that's kind of how Tiny C will share um, in that in your business at that point. Because we would receive a share of those dividends because it's based on the um, percentage of um, ownership. So, two hundred fifty thousand dollars. Hopefully, that's large enough for anyone for quite a few years to you know not hit that cap, um, and then that cap exists so that the dividends get issued at some point for Tiny C.
0: Yeah, and for reference, at the venture-funded startups that I've been a part of or know of, usually 250k is what the CEO and the COO make after they've raised five or ten million. So should be plenty for everyone. Um, I think Paul's question is he says, you know, you're saying that you have a cap. I like Tracy that you introduced that word cap. It doesn't mean you have to pay yourself this. We have founders in our program who live very inexpensively, who pay themselves two or three thousand dollars a month, and all the rest they're investing back in their business, and it gives them a ton of runway. We have some other founders who have higher burn, personal burn and so they pay themselves I don't know that anyone's paying themselves a cap right now but people are approaching that and to Paul's question we give 120,000 in funding but what if you give yourself $250,000 salary well you're going to burn through your money in 6 months then unless you have revenue that's the idea right that's why you know we're, we're not expecting you to have zero mrr uh, when you apply so you're a founder and you make the choice of what you pay yourself but we will give you advice and and you know if you're if you're burning 15 or 20,000 a month and you have no employees like that's you're not going to last very long so you just have to use you know use your sense in terms of running running your business mohammed Shanab says, I do uh, have already raised pre-seed funding. So am I eligible to apply? I'm based in the UK and looking to move myself with the startup to the United States. So the answer is it depends on what form your pre-seed funding has taken. Um, if someone has purchased equity at a certain valuation, then we will, st- We our terms are, I, they're pretty standard and we will purchase at our valuation. And so if your prior investors and you are okay with our valuation, great, that works. If you have raised a safe or a convertible note um, that converts at a future funding round, we are a priced round. So again, you and your investors would have to be okay with, conver- with the, that equity converting at our price. The exception is a lot of safes and convertible notes have a minimum funding amount uh, to have a conversion. So they'll say like, if you raise less than 250 K, then it doesn't count as a, as a a convertible funding round. Or if you raise that less than 500 K, you know, that's that's usually the range. And we are obviously below that. So in that case, we have had, I believe one or two companies come in with safes or convertible notes and and we funded and they didn't convert on our round, but if they raise a future round or they sell, it will. So that's the gist. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we have
1: some of the, some of those questions in the application and kind of digs into some of those points. We added that this time around. Um, and I want to say that those answers to your question, when you say like, how hey, I, I, you know, to the questions about where you're incorporated or, um, any kind of those dig in questions, nothing is set in stone. We're asking those questions so that we can follow up, um, do follow up emails or questions later. Um, so either in a email or in the um, first round of interviews or whatnot. So when it comes to those answers, if you don't know, you're not sure, you have questions, feel free to answer. write those in and we'll follow up with you. Um, but the application definitely is not set in stone. It's just meant to kind of start that conversation.
0: Yeah, that's the thing. It's, you know, we get several hundred applications and we literally go through and look at Tracy at least looks at every single one of them, and then Anr and I believe look. Yeah, it's it's <laughs> Anr and I look at almost all of them, but there are a few that you know, whatever don't make the first cut. Um, so we, it really is, a lot of this is case by case where we look at it and we'll ask you questions and do you have a this and the, that, you know, we, we have experienced a lot of um, edge cases. And so, uh, you know, I appreciate these questions. Next question, David Williams says, geographically and with the program in mind, are we at a di- significant disadvantage if we are based in the UK? It's David from Profitizer.app. So Tracy, there's two things here. There's a UK entity right? David, if you're based in the UK and have a US entity, no problem. But then the second thing I think you might be asking is uh, location and time zones. You want to address that piece of it?
1: Yeah. So um, when we raised, well, we're in the process of raising our European fund, which is specifically going to, um, well, I can say that right. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, we're just started, so, so, yep. I was just making sure. I was like, oh no, we're live. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, we're raising this fund so we can have Tiny Seed Europe and UK um, and so we can invest directly in startups who are in, um, in those time zones in UK who are uh, not incorporated in the US. I'm very excited for that. Hopefully there'll be more information say at the beginning of 2022 and what that looks like when the program will start um, cause it kind of depends on the fundraising. So that said, um, the, the this fall 2021 batch is coming out of our second fund, which we just raised, which was $27 million, which is awesome. Um, that was raised uh, to invest specifically in North American time zones. And so that's kind of where this question, like our requirements come up. Um, Rob, would you say, like, how would you say how strict that is? Um, I don't know if I can answer that
0: yeah i mean specifically um we are looking for a u.s entity u.s yeah. and canadian entities and then i think someone's Right now we have a mid-batch person who's probably coming in who is converting to like a U.S. Virgin Islands company, yeah. but it, it's still U.S. Right. Re- law and U.S. related. Um, if you are a U.K. limited company and you are not willing or any, you know, anything outside the Americas and are not willing to convert to some C-Corp, an LLC, a Canadian entity, um, then you would want to wait for our European fund, which, you know, TBD, six months um, dollars yeah, batch, soon. nine yeah, months. Yeah, yeah. I mean it's it's mm-hmm. next year, but yeah. if you have it's
1: definitely not for the next year, not like five years from now. Yeah. We're we're trying to go very fast in that direction.
0: But if you if you are willing to convert or you already have a U.S. based, uh, again a U.S. a Canadian, you know an America's based um, entity, we have tons of founders who live in Europe or live Mm -hmm. in other places. Yeah. So that your location is, um, is less relevant. The only thing is then time zones. I mean, we do schedule the, a lot of our calls between like noon and two central time. And so that gets a little later on, on your time, but we have to cater to a lot.
1: It's up to the founder. Like in our current batch, we have some people that are in Thailand, which has been a very, um, it's a hard time zone. So, you know, yeah. they're opting in not to, to show up live to our events, but everything that we do is recorded. It's put onto like a private founder dashboard so people to review later. So if you're in a time zone that doesn't, isn't conducive to attending any of our live events, you can review it afterwards.
0: Right. So I want to remind folks to use the Q&A function in Zoom because there's chat at the bottom. But if, if you go to the bottom of Zoom and look to the right, almost next to that leave button, uh, there is a QA. And that is much easier because then producer Xander is able to to track them and uh, and mark those questions when they're answered. Next question from Harris. Yeah, a lot are coming through. Harris Kenny, I'm happy <laughs> to see you're open to funding a company that's relying on productized services to grow into a software company sure that's 100% correct. Do you have any advice for how to talk about where companies like this are in the journey when applying for tiny seed. So, we've had we have a few companies who have a productized service in essence built on top of SaaS, but their SaaS revenue was at a minimum you know It it met our minimum bar uh, in terms of having a software company already, and and the productized service was um, either a way to grow revenue faster or just an additional revenue stream. So if you are a productized service and you have no software written, um, you wouldn't be a fit for us today. You're not a SaaS company. Uh, You are a productized service, which is different. If you are in the process of building a SaaS from your productized service, then build that, launch it get some SaaS revenue, and apply to TinySeed. And the beauty is, is it's not every year now, it's every six months. And when, you know, when we add Europe next year, it'll, there'll be even more opportunities to do it. But we do, you know, product-based services are nice because you, you can charge a lot for them. Um, they don't scale as easily as software, but they're certainly helpful in the early days. Question, what are some key aspects you look for in companies that you select? So, uh, I will go first on this, the short answer. There's a really long answer and we're not going to do that one. There's like a, (laughs) we have a Google doc with 40 something bullets in it that we look at. I look at people, product market fit and pricing. And so the people is we're, we're talking to the founders. Do we think these founders are, are going to get it done? Have they a proven track record of, of shipping and getting things done? Do they take action or, you know, are they victims? Mm-hmm. Are they sitting around saying, oh, it's not my fault that my, you know, my product isn't working or I got screwed here or there, like, or are they pushing it and, and getting it done? So that's the people. Um, Uh, someone asked solo founders. Yes, we fund a lot of solo founders. I think we actually fund more solo founders than two person teams, um, which is, which is the opposite of most, you know, accelerators Mm -hmm. and most venture funds. Um, so that was people. Uh, product market fit is just that, have you built something people want and are willing to pay for? And this is a spectrum. So you know, you could say at 2000 MRR, I have some product market fit. And at 10 or 15 K, I have a lot of product market fit, I mean, that, that's a general range, but this, it doesn't always hold true. We've, I've seen companies with 30 K MRR who really still haven't found product market fit or found it with just a very small audience and are plateauing and then have to expand out. Um, but definitely if you have zero MRR, you've shown that you haven't yet built something people are Willing to pay for you? Know, you haven't proven that yet. Um, and if you're and that's Fiver- the main
1: reason why we ask for people who are post revenue, because like, yeah. we get a lot of questions asking, like, "Oh, I have a pre revenue company. Oh, I'm still working on like collecting emails, but it's a really great idea." Um, and this is the primary reason why we uh, we uh, that this aspect of what we're looking for is why we don't allow people who are pre revenue.
0: Right. And and here's the thing. It, revenue is not everything. Revenue is not the only signal. It's not like we sort on MRR and just make an offer to the top 10. That's not how it works. It's, it, there really are a bunch of factors. And so people is one, product market fit is another, and uh, pricing or price sensitivity is a big one that I look at. If you're selling to consumers and you're charging $9 a month and your churn is really high, you're going to plateau pretty quick, even in a big market. If you uh, have, can have higher price points, if you have uh, enterprise price points and you know your churn is low then you have less price sensitivity and you have more price flexibility. So those are my three Ps that I look at. Tracy, you have other other things to add?
1: No, I've I pretty much learned from you. <laughs> so a lot of my experience in, the, in, the, in this is coming directly from you and ADAR. Um, I can't think of anything else I would add to that. Yeah, I think that was a pretty uh, complete answer.
0: Awesome. Great. Um, Nelson asked what... I'm just skipping around. Sorry, Producer Xander. What startup from... I'll be back in the outline in a second. What startup... What about startups from Africa? We can register a company in the U.S. and apply for the accelerator. Yes, we have actually had some African companies apply and have had conversations with them, so um, please do. Next question from Mihai Sava. Uh, Boy, how many questions are here? I don't know. I'll, I'll just start reading. Question one. We've launched our product two months ago. We have signed a contract with one company to start using our product. In the agreement, we have fixed uh, KPIs, which are key performance indicators, on how much we're going to achieve in terms of revenue for year one, two, and three, along with the profit share. Can we count that against MRR in your application? I don't understand what you're asking. So maybe in <laughs> maybe in the application, do the, take your best guess, and then there's like a notes field or there's something, and just explain it, because I don't mm-hmm. understand what the profit share is versus the, the KPIs. Um, and this is a very specific question, so I don't necessarily want to, you know, d- dig into it when we have 20 or 20 more coming in. Um, also we have some MOU, which is what a, something of a memorandum of understanding signed with two other companies waiting to use our product. Can we put that somewhere in the application? Yes, there is a, there's an open text field somewhere, right, Tracy? So this is the kind yeah. of stuff, explain it, but explain it in detail. Like explain really like, is an, is, is an MOU that they have committed to purchase and at what price? Like we need to know all those numbers um, or is it they are considering purchasing if you hit milestones in the future, you know, then it might be a, Hey, come back and apply later.
1: Yeah. And, you know, and if there's any fields that seem to be missing, feel free to send me an email at hello at com, or you can message me directly through your submittable application, which is the platform we're using for the applications. I can grab anything that doesn't fit and I can stick it on your application with my end. Um, so yeah, don't. Don't worry if things don't fit exactly. Like I'm going to read through all your applications and I, you know, I'm not going to just judge them based on whether everything is the right place. I'm going to read through it like a human. It's totally fine. Um, So feel free to put answers in a different place and say, Hey, this refers to something else or send me an email. I can switch it up. It's totally all is um, it's all flexible. It's fine.
0: Evan Howard says we're three weeks into a PLG pivot from sales led and I had never heard of PLG, so I was going to say, "What's it. PLG?" Well, okay. here, yeah. I put typed to go- uh, PLG into Google just to see, and here's the definitions it gives me: number one, pretty little girl; number two, Progressive <laughs> Librarians Guild; number three, Private Lights oh, Goods; man. number four, Play Golf Holdings PLC. So I'm thinking it's not these. Down uh, about on the fifth result, it says, "What is PLG?" Product standpoint? led but, growth. There it uh, is. Okay. Product led. I know. I got to it. It was a joke. It'd be entertaining. <laughs> we're just answering questions. This is boring. All right. Here's we're three weeks into a product led growth pivot from sales led right and you know how product like sales led growth would be outbound and dealing a lot of sales stuff where product is um more going to be on the marketing side we do have mrr but it's low and it depends so what is low right would you say apply now anyway or wait six months and check back we'd benefit more from the mentorship community funding now than in six months but may not have impressive numbers um oh no problem evan that it's it's all good man i was (laughs) it's just a fun little little thing to chat about um i mean my gut is always honestly, it's like, if you're in doubt, apply, because what is it? Is it take you 20 minutes to do this? Like, we're not, you, you should know your MRR and your churn. Like we don't ask for stuff that, that takes, it's not a two hour application. It shouldn't be a two hour. If it's a two hour application, you, you honestly, you don't know your business that well. And so in my opinion, if you, if you're in doubt, you should apply. Cause you don't have much to lose. We we've had m- many companies apply twice and we had uh, Cloud Forecast applied three times and got in on their third time, right? It took they three- applied
1: every single application. Yep. That should be clear. It's like every single application we put out, Cloud Forecast uh, applied, was denied twice. Uh,
0: yeah. Got the it, but they kept showing up and to, to the people, product, market fit, and pricing, like they kept showing up. They actually, found more product market fit over the two years. They, they showed us that their price, people weren't price sensitive, and the founder showed that they showed us that they showed up and were able to get traction. So the other thing is these applications are often, we will often have a conversation, and then if we, if we don't wind up having a spot for you, we will frequently say, please, you know, we have know each other, we've seen each other face-to-face on Zoom. I kind of have an understanding of your business now. Send us your updates. Like if you send us a monthly update and then apply again in six months. And by that time, we're even more familiar. I read every, I think I get 70 something updates, um, from tiny seed and then other investments and then from non-investments and we read them. Um, uh, yes. So anyways, the, the, the apply, I think is a little, uh,
1: Oh, <laughs> my- Xander just sent me a message in the chat that I answered a question. Awesome. Um yeah. sorry about that. Xander, if you click on answer live, I think I would notice. I would know that was going to be an answer live question.
0: All right. So is did you answer a question that we should answer?
1: Uh, on the I air? just asked something about I think a typical I think it was the typical. <laughs> I'm making <laughs> Professor Xander so mad. <laughs> you told me I could type answers. <laughs> Anyways, um, what did I answer? I think that was the ARR question. Okay, I don't know it anymore. So, um, anyways, I answered a question that was uh that was in that's in the Q and A answer What does it
0: tip, Chris Christopher Mannion? What does a typical company look like? ARR et cetera when entering the program? Is there a size that is too big for a tiny seed? No, there is not. And that's the typical thing is each yeah. batch has looked different. The first batch was at earlier stage. Second batch people were further along, and the third batch people. You know, it, it's it's really a mix, and anything we say will. Um, I think it's just too limiting. It's like, last batch, we didn't accept anyone under 2K MRR, I believe. And it would be nice if, from our perspective, we we can continue to do that because, um, man, when you're at 1,000 MRR, it can take you six to 12 months just to get to 5K, right? You just don't know yet. Um, But that's not a hard and fast rule. Let's say we don't get the applicants that we need and we want to fill the batch. Well, then we might, you know, take some folks that are at a different spot. And again, MRR is not, it's one of several factors. It's not the only factor. Sean. I want
1: to jump in actually on the previous question where we were talking about some of the metrics it occurred to me I actually did something. I, in we asked some things about metrics. We we asked about uh, what's your lifetime value and churn and whatnot. And I have this like flashback to when I was running my last startup. And I knew what my revenue was, but a lot of the acronyms are still confusing to me. I was still building a SaaS, but you know I wasn't like say delved into those acronyms. I linked to some resources for how to calculate those. If if you are new to like kind of calculate all your metrics, if you have like, a SaaS that's running and you're new to that, uh, feel free to to either send me an email and ask any questions, or I can click through some of those resources um, if that's just something that is new to you. Um, So that's, I think that's the only part of the application. If you're not already doing those kind of tracking or not really aware of that side of the things might take you some time just to do those calculations, but it's a really good practice to do too. Um, And now that I, you know, I didn't do it in my last startup. It's one of my biggest regrets. Um, so if you're not doing it, if you're not tracking some of these metrics, um, now is the time to do it, and then you'll need that for your application.
0: So when I said if you don't know these numbers, you don't know your business very well, did you take offense at that? Were you like, Urgh. "Oh,
1: I just thought I just thought of myself, as my previous founder. Yeah, I'd be like, yeah. I do know know my business, but then right. it's like those kind of things. Now that I'm in tiny seed, and now I now that I know how valuable those metrics are. I look back and that, I can see like previous Tracy didn't know, but current Tracy, it kind of understands that mindset. So just wanted to bring that up. I did link to some resources for those, those, um, those fields.
0: All right. Sean McAuliffe says, I'm a bit confused by the investment. You accept uh, lower MRR companies, but offer 120 K for he says 10%, but our, really our standard terms are 120 K for 12%. That is our standard offer. Um, and then he says, but you also mentioned six figure and seven figure ARR. Can you elaborate as to what this might look like for an early stage company? So yeah, our standard term are 120 K for the first founder, 60 K for the second 40, for the third, we've never funded a four person company at founder team. And I don't know that we will, we tend to be, to be honest, we have a bias towards smaller founding teams. What that's the pattern that we've seen in bootstrappers who get it done? Or usually it's one or two person teams. Um, and I love that's how this, this is
1: the opposite of YC because it is like YC is like multiple founders. That's one of the big, you know the ways right. that we look at the industry. That's kind of different that's, than YC.
0: And I, and I like I like that. A lot of things. Are, I mean, look, we have a lot of respect for YC. Anar went through YC. Your husband went through YC. Like we have connections there. And I have mm-hmm. I've been a fan of P, of Paul Graham forever. I've read his books when they came out. Like we it's it's. It's just a different model, right? It's uh, I have a lot of respect for for what they built, and certainly we are standing on the on the shoulders of giants. But we're kind of trying to go back to you know first principles, so to speak, and say what is best for bootstrappers. Um, and so the bottom line is our standard terms: one hundred and twenty plus sixty plus forty, uh, and that is for twelve percent. And so low whatever low MRR companies, whatever that means, standard MRR companies. That's the deal. Um, there are some companies that come uh, in with re, like I said, you know, six figure, seven figure error and those we have a conversation with. And, uh, you know, so we do have that 10, we do have uh, a small amount of flexibility, um, in our terms. And again, I'd encourage if you're in doubt, I'd encourage you to apply and have a conversation with us. We are, <laughs> we are really friendly people. Um, and yeah, uh, I try
1: to t- I try to take pride in my, my friendly and, and totally. down to earth responses. Whenever, whenever an email comes into hella at tiny seed that goes straight to me. So, um, please feel free to fill my inbox with questions. I'm happy to answer them.
0: All right. Um, Chase Fleming says, does company type matter LLC versus C-Corp? Tracy, do we care?
1: We don't care. If you're US, uh, if you're incorporating the US, we don't, it doesn't have to be like a Delaware C-Corp. You don't have to convert to sell a Delaware C-Corp, like all those things that their investors do. Um, LLCs and C-Corps are uh, in any state uh, works for us.
0: Venkat says, can you give a couple examples of where mentorship has made a practical difference to your founders? I'm smiling big because I can rattle off like 30, but all right. No, example- no, no,
1: you go first. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, no. Well, examples. Yeah,
0: you don't want to, examples where the difference is to help, helping sell to enterprise, reducing the sales cycle would be good to know from dealplus.io. Tracy, you want to go first? No, no, you want no, me to go? I, okay. You got
1: so excited that I was like, oh, you I just started mean- looking at me and I was like, no, 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 this is all you, man. Yeah. Well, it's <laughs> like
0: the... <laughs> I'm so excited. So the the tiny seed playbook uh, is the first seven give or take. It's like the first seven modules of the program, and and Aynar and I walk through 101 and 102 level stuff on pricing and funnels and sales and M&A and fundraising. If you decide to do that, um, and a couple, lead gen, and a couple other things. Um, and every time we talk, go through the pricing one. You can look at the revenue graphs of. I'd say, but uh, yep. About mm-hmm. between 20 and 40% of the companies, if we look back to the month, the the week that we do the pricing talk within a few weeks, it, it's a, There's forget a jump, the expression. Yeah. It's like a hockey, you know, it's a hockey yeah. stick and ter- it's a bootstrapper hockey stick, right? It's not, <laughs> but it's like, it's incredible. And so we just, we encourage folks that with that, um, we have had, and that's just, that's Anar and I, it's not counting the 40 mentors we have and the advice,
1: uh, you know, yeah, I just like introduced someone to Taylor Hendrickson who does a lot with like social like paid campaigns. So he was able to walk through with the founder through all of the paid campaigns that they had set up, um, and kind of like debugged it and gave his advice. And the founder said to me, Neil, being like, This is so valuable, this is really amazing. And that's like that, those are the kind of moments that make this whole thing worth it. It's like really awesome to see, you know, whenever we connect to events for, again, because we have these like subject matter experts that are just like really, really good in a specific area. um, It's really great to seeing what kind of results that someone can get when they can get that like shortcut advice rather than kind of going through and trying to learn it themselves from scratch.
0: Right. And I mean, another example, you and I, Tracy, walked through a founder's funnel and each recorded a loom for him and Mm -hmm. you recorded it from like a design UX perspective or UI and I recorded from like a conversion rate optimization perspective and and we both you and I both overlapped but he implemented those and came back and was like my conversion rates up I don't remember what the number it was like ridiculous it was like 50 percent or something based on what you guys said so again that's that's our internal information but our mentors you know uh, also have that Venkat's question he was saying helping sell to enterprises reducing sales cycle yes I mean mm-hmm. that's A&R, that's you know, there's like David Heller and batch one with reMB is doing enterprise right. sales. Like there's a huge number of our uh founders who are doing enterprise sales and we have best practices. We jump in Slack, someone asks a question, it's like, oh, here's that thread where we addressed exactly how to do this six months ago or whatever. So a lot of good stuff there. Anil Gupta says, how does it work if there is already a company outside the U.S.? Do we need to roll it up into a new company in the U.S.? Or can we have some kind of mutually exclusive agreement between the two companies? Um, You can't just do a mutually exclusive agreement, like a licensing or something. There has to be, because we own equity in an entity. And there can't be a legal way for you to like funnel money out of that entity. And so, I I don't know. I'm not a lawyer. Um, We have had companies with form another, you know, they're in a, a foreign uh, jurisdiction and they form a U.S. or a Canadian one and they link that one owns the other one. It's a wholly owned subsidiary or something like that. So it, it's all possible. Yeah. Um, and I then mean, in other- these
1: situations, like we have a lawyer in end, so you loop in your lawyer in your end. Like if we send an offer, we can kind of figure out what's the best way to pr- proceed forward. So these kind of situations aren't necessarily a blocker to being investment. It's, again, it's just the start of a conversation and we're happy to kind of work through what it would take for us to invest in you. And we can have that conversation at that point.
0: Luke Porter asks, we've been trading since 2013. That means in business for those who aren't up with the UK lingo. Uh, We're doing 118K MRR, but we want to grow and have help recruiting people to take the business forward. Um, With us being around for so long, would we be considered or is it more for initial startups that have been going for one to two years? Tracy? Tracy?
1: I was going to say, that sounds great. I mean, that sounds like amazing. The, ti- yeah. the Tiny seed program, I like think a lot of it is like why we're relying on not just investment, why we have the education and the component and all the mentorship and advice and all the hands-on work that we do with these companies, because a lot of people can roll in saying like, hey, we've been rolling for a long time. We don't see where our weaknesses are. And we can help you find those weaknesses and fix those weaknesses and hopefully get you to, you know, again, escape velocity, get you to the next level.
0: Yep so really the age of the company is, is not relevant we, we do that is not a factor you know in the big spreadsheet or the big uh, list of things we look at we don't I mean we ask how long but it doesn't really matter the only thing it impacts I think is if your growth rate has been stagnant for years we'll ask why is that and then mm-hmm. how can we help you we want to know how we can help you get out of that because otherwise it you shouldn't be selling us equity and we shouldn't be investing if we don't think we can actually help you break out of that so good question Udit asks will Tiny Seed help us in raising a Series A in the future, and is the percentage of equity negotiable with Tiny Seed? So we have had, the answer is, if you want to raise follow-on funding, usually it's a pre-seed round. Usually you start with an accelerator round, then a pre-seed, then a seed, then a Series A. Series A's are like 10 million now, so the, the nomenclature has changed. But all that said, if you're talking about raising another half million dollars or a million dollars in the future or even more than that, yes, we will assist. We have had, we, we obviously don't do it for you. You have to create a deck, and you're channeling investors. Um, and we have had several founders raise additional funding after Tiny Seeds. 25%, and that's,
1: right? Have, I think have something like that. Yeah.
0: Yeah. It's a, it's a large number. And that's the thing. Tiny Seeds terms, we want to give you optionality. If you never want to raise again... Great. You want to run a profitable business, pull dividends out. Great. If you want to sell it for 10 million bucks. Great. If you want to go on and raise a pre-seed or a series A or even, you know, go on the venture track. Cool. Our terms allow for all of that. And we will support, you know, the decision you make. Um, Phil Dearson says for successful accelerator participants outside the United States, is there any help provided in to form that Delaware Corp? What do we have for free as well, a tiny seat perk?
1: I mean, we, our lawyer has helped with finding other lawyers, helping people find like a local counsel for them. Oh, Stripe um, Atlas. Oh, Atlas. and Stripe Atlas, of course. Yes. I there totally we go. About I, was, I, was, yes. I was I was
0: that was like a bump set. I was just waiting for you to just spike on it. I. <laughs> So we have guess, Stripe Atlas. I really They'd like give our it... lawyer, so. Yeah, yeah. We talk <laughs> He's so
1: helpful. I just want to constantly talk about how Jay and how helpful he is. But yes, yeah. we have a Stripe Atlas benefit. So it's um, free, free incorporation um, through Stripe using their Atlas program. Um, and Stripe has made that whole process like way simpler Incredibly than it easy. ever was before. Yeah.
0: Yep. And normally, I believe they charge 500 for it, but because we they yeah. have a- we have with a free them.
1: deal, yeah. Mm-hmm. Right.
0: So um, several of our founders internationally who've wanted to incorporate have used it. And it gives you a Stripe account and a bank account at, I forget what the bank is now, but, uh, and then. Might uh, be
1: Mercury, I'm, but don't quote me on that. Yeah,
0: I know. I think it changed, but yeah. I, I, it might be, we like Mercury. I like them. Yeah, All right. we do like Mercury. Mm-hmm. Brian Crone says, we have a mobile health app that currently is direct to consumer, but B2B is an important channel we want to build out. Do we need B2B revenue before we should apply? I want to say no. I want to say, yeah. Again, I err on the side of applying. Mm -hmm. If all things being equal, if another health app applies and they have B2B revenue, they will have a notch above you, but usually all things are not equal. And so I would say especially, I mean, direct-to-consumer revenue is tough because usually churn is high, price point's low. But if... Look, if you have five or ten k of MRR and you can show us that there's an avenue to to B two B revenue, um, I would say take the twenty minutes. Let's have a let's apply and you know yeah. see if we have a conversation. Anil Gupta says, if we have product market fit in another country, does that qualify? We spoke to someone in the last batch. Um, we didn't wind up making them an offer, but remember they had a, an app in a vertical, pretty tight vertical, and it was only in. A country like it was like Germany or something, and so we couldn't well, even read the website, right? We were like, yeah. ah.
1: That's true. I mean, there's Localizer, who is largely in the Middle East,
0: that's right. So, yep. um, their product market fits there. I and, mean, they're
1: moving North America based, but they were primarily in the Middle East before applying to Tennessee.
0: Yep, and um, oh man, it's all these, there's 41 companies, uh. Legal.
1: It's Just got to get worse. Lexco. Yeah, Lexco. go in, in South America. Yeah, right America, their
0: whole their mm-hmm. whole market is down there. So absolutely, yeah, we are not. Uh, we we are we are a product market fit country agnostic. Mm-hmm. Um, all right, Marto Alberto del Cid Portillo says, "I have a small startup generating four thousand dollars worth of crypto a month from NFT game scholarships. Would this be a startup for Tiny Seed, even if it doesn't have a software side of things?" I'm not sure. I don't think this is B2B SaaS. Yeah.
1: I mean, so like we don't want to be picky, but one of the reasons why we say B2B SaaS, definitely SaaS and like largely B2B SaaS is because of that education program, mentorship, our expertise is all in that area. So we want to make sure that if you join TinySea, we're actually able to help you. For things like crypto and um, crypto, we don't have a lot of experience in that. I don't think if, that would be a right fit for you. I'm not if, sure a lot of the topics that we go through would actually apply to your business.
0: That's the problem, right? If, if look, if you have a crypto startup that's like a B2B crypto startup that is processing payments via crypto, or or is it whatever an exchange, just whatever. Think of whatever B2B crypto app. Absolutely, if you're a SaaS app that involves crypto, we would love that. I'm a big. I mean, most of us are into crypto in one way or another, <laughs> yeah. right? On the team. Um, yeah. I'm married but, to an
1: expert. Yeah. Yeah, and, and
0: our you know. You know, jokes about, uh, oh gosh, going don't, to the moon. don't
1: follow him on Twitter. H- hodling and all that stuff. So
0: <laughs> we're all about it. But yeah, if you're generating crypto in a kind of a B2C, uh, yeah. I, yeah, I, we just I, want
1: to be able to help. And so that would be big, something that we, we we would have a hard time, I think.
0: Right. It's like my, my advice on pricing and marketing funnels isn't really going to apply to you. David Shaw says, I'm founding a startup based in Northern Ireland, UK Limited. I'd be keen to register interest about the EU-UK Accelerator, the EU Accelerator. Is it possible to register interest for that now? Or would it be worth applying for fall 2021 batch and following the process from there?
1: That's a good question. I mean, I so I like to save applications in our application system and move them over if they make sense. Um, so I've done that. We had a what we call our mid-batch application that was up. And so there's people who can apply between application processes. Um, and if they're not a good fit for mid-batch application, which is the whole thing, it's much higher requirements because it requires kind of breakout of our like application model. If they don't match those requirements, then often it makes sense to hold their application. Until that next round, I don't have a system in place for this UK round. I would assume that would be the way that would go, though. I just don't have like the application up. We don't have a timeline yet because um, we're still kind of doing the fundraising. Uh, so, I mean, feel free to apply and see. You know, we're again, we're happy to have that conversation with you. Um, happy to see. Uh, you know. Talk to you if, but if you do indeed want to incorporate, if you want to wait, if you just want to see what the application process is like, um, I don't think it would be that big of an issue.
0: Right. And the, at a minimum, minimum, tinyc.com enter your email so that you're on that. Cause we're certainly going to be announcing oh, yeah, totally. to the list, yeah. right?
1: Minimum. The list minimum. is always first, um, the email list. So it's like, everywhere on our website, there is an email field somewhere. Um, like I think it's on slash apply. I think it's in our footer or whatnot. So make sure you're on our email list and you'll definitely get that first, um, first announcement of the details of the program when it's set up.
0: Right. And if you apply, we'll, we'll chat with you as well. Um, kind of a follow-up question. Uh, can you, I think from a different asker, um, Can you talk more about your European fund? I'm not totally opposed to converting to a US one, but if that can be avoided, that's obviously better. Would the mentors and the rest of the program be exactly the same here? Uh, well, they they can't be because a people only have so much time, and b uh, time zones become a little bit of an issue as we dig in. So yeah,
1: there's kind of going to be some overlap with mentors. Um, this is another area again we're still figuring out because the European one is a, is a bit far out. Um, we're definitely going to be wanting to have definitely going to have European based mentors um, because of those time zones, because of the expertise in that local culture, the local ecosystem. Um, And the rest of the program, the program itself, when it comes to the playbook, terms of the cadence through the year, um, that would probably stay relatively the same. I think so. um, Because the playbook is just so good. It's something we didn't do for our first year. We introduced it for our second year. Second year went so well. And then of course we're doing it this third year, it still went really well. So of course we're gonna replicate that across um the rest of the uh, accelerators that we run. So one-third a year towards a playbook, two-thirds a year, bring on those mentors doing events and whatnot. Um, that model will probably be the same between the two accelerators.
0: Yep, that's a good description of it. Next question. I have high personal burn, as you described it. Can't avoid that currently to avoid spending all funding on salary. Do you have requirements around how active founders, uh, activities founders can be involved in? Specifically, can they also have a day job? And the answer is, yes, our requirement is that if we're going to give you funding, you have to be full time. So Mm -hmm. you have to be at a point where that makes sense. And all founders who um, want to raise the funding need to go uh, full time. So we get into different things where like there was a founder, one founder, there were two co-founders and one didn't want to go full time because they had this great consulting practice. And so we gave them the funding for one founder. And that's, that's just how it works. We, we can't, uh, can't fund people to work a day job in essence, right? I mean, the whole point of this is that you are, uh, gives you the, the leeway to focus full time and and to make some slightly bigger bets than if you were truly um, still bootstrapped.
1: And I want to say, I, I'm pretty sure the question wasn't asking this. Um, it says, do you have any requirements on activities can founders can be involved in? I assume that means outside the accelerator, but just to, be, just to make sure um, everything that the accelerator plans, all of the calls we do and events and, in-person retreats and want everything that Tiny Seed schedules is optional. We don't have anything. We have things that we're like, we really want you to. When Microconf, like say Microconf next year, we're gonna have um, a retreat around that. That'd be especially a good one to attend because you have Microconf, you get to see people in person, whatnot. But it is optional. So if if there's anyone who is like, hey, I have a crazy schedule, um, I just want to review everything afterwards. That's actually totally okay too. Um, we don't require we don't have time commitments in tiny seed, but of course, you know, spending the more time you do spend with tiny seed, I think the more you're going to get out of the program.
0: A question from Timmy, we're a SAS company. We are not yet profitable. Is that your criteria? We have no criteria around profitability. It is around revenue. That's true. Right. Yeah. And and that mm-hmm. is the, and that is one criteria. Again, that is not the only, um, so we, I think several of the, a lot of companies who've come into tiny seed are, break even or losing money and kind of funding it out of other activities so um we don't you know if you have massive massive burn i think there was somebody who had raised a big bucket of money and was burning through it and had didn't have a lot of MRR to show for it, which is a bad sign, right? It's like I have raised 500 grand and I'm at 5k MRR and I'm almost out of money. And it's like, well, it's not that you're not profitable. That's the problem is that you spent a lot of money and didn't get any traction. That's kind of a, a signal. So um, thanks for the question on that, Timmy. Matt Zunert says, can you say a bit about how you think about unfair advantages? I feel like none of the official four unfair advantages trademark apply to me. He's referring to a microcomp talk I did several years ago. So the unfair advantages for faster SaaS growth are just that they're for the really fast-growing companies, the bare metrics, the drips. The um, I'm trying to think of who else was in that talk. Uh, Woo, like WooThemes, WooCommerce. I mean, these are companies that grew exceptionally fast. It's great to have one of them. It's not a requirement. We we have a lot of companies coming in that that don't have them. Um, that it comes back to that people, you know, product market fit and uh, and and price sensitivity plus plus the other stuff. Ranjit. Goshal says, uh, in terms of UK companies, we can use Stripe Atlas to have a US entity, question mark. Yes. And if necessary, headquarters based in North America. You don't need a headquarters based in North America. Yeah, we have several folks who have no no headquarters based here. Mm-hmm. Um, so we have, some, we have some bolded questions. Are these ones that we want to get to?
1: I bolded the ones that I want to get to, yes. Okay, cool. I thought Let that me... would make things easier.
0: Yeah, yeah. Great. Devin Patrick, what if we have product market fit for one segment of the market? small, medium sized businesses or SMBs, but are going up market to the enterprise and haven't closed one of those deals yet. What do you think about that, Tracy?
1: Um, I feel like that's worth an application. Definitely. Um, like if, especially if you have product market fit for wine segments of market, that that's awesome. That's showing you know, that you have need in that market. A lot of people join Kenny Seed, you know, primarily selling, you know, to smaller businesses, and then they move into doing enterprise once mm-hmm. they get the advice and help and whatnot from Tinyseed. So that's awesome.
0: Udit says, "Do you accept SaaS marketplaces, or is it only SaaS companies?" We've done around four million in sales in three years on our platform. Now looking for help take it to a new level. So we accept. We when we originally launched, we said subscription software, and. We have absolutely talked to marketplaces. What we don't do is talk to marketplaces who have four hundred dollars in revenue, or marketplaces who have not only one side of the marketplace. Marketplaces are very hard to do, but if you've done four million in sales across it, I would then ask, so what was your revenue on that? Because if your revenue was zero, then you need to get to the point where you have some revenue. You just have to prove that there is, you know, a willingness to pay for it. But um, it, it is It is not a non-starter. It is a starter for us. If, um, <laughs> it's
1: a good way to know, put it, yeah.
0: You know what I mean? It's, yeah. Uh, if you like the application, what are next steps? Oh, this is a good question. Mihai says, if you like the application, what are the next steps?
1: Tracy it, so, reaches yeah. out, right? Yeah, so, you know, submit your applications to TinySeed through the Submittable platform. Uh, we start reviewing, um, the. it just opened up yesterday. We're going to start reviewing, like, fully reviewing next week. Um, first want to say is that you're going to get a response from us. Um, so if it's not a good fit for tiny seed and you haven't heard, or sorry, if you haven't gotten a response from tiny seed, it still means you are in the process of being reviewed, um, you will get an email saying you're not a good fit at some point. So we're not going to ghost you. We're totally going to respond to every single application that comes in. Um, if you are a good fit, then the, the first step is having a call with me. I, I call my calls like application part two. So I ask more questions that are kind of like basic questions. Like how did you get started with the company? What kind of led to the idea? What led to you, you starting this product? Um, what else do I ask? I ask, uh, uh, what are kind of the marketing channels that you're using? What are the, of the marketing channels you're looking to use in the next six, six or so months? So I ask them, you know, totally easy questions. Um, it's things that we want, kind of want to know more about your business. They want to put them in the application, make the applications larger, take up more of your time, especially since we know that there's going to be a large chunk of um, applications that are not be a good fit. Don't want to waste your time. So you get a call with me. The next step uh, we'll be doing a call with Rob and Anar. Uh, Rob, do you want to kind of explain how that goes on your end?
0: Yeah. I mean, each of these is a filtering step, obviously. Some mm-hmm. folks talk to Tracy and, you know, don't, don't make it long to the next step, but then Anar and I, we look at all the information that Tracy has put down and then look at your application. And then we ask questions that we have, you know, we've, we've seen.
1: Yeah. You gotta dig into, you know, I ask like yep. these broad questions and then you kind of dig into specifics.
0: Yeah. And it's, it's, I mean, we've looked at literally thousands of applications, you know, and, and invested in, you know, again, put between my investments in private ones and tiny seed, I'm over 60 and that'll be over 80 here in the next uh, month or two, right? That's a lot. It's a lot of companies. And so we're going to ask questions based on things we've seen in the past, but also I like to be educated about Things that I don't know about, so it's oftentimes founders will educate us about a vertical or about um, you know a a method they're using or an approach they're using, and that you know it can be intriguing. To um, I guess we have our impressions of how things should look, and I'm you know we're we're just having a conversation about learning more about your business. And again, are you fit for Tiny Seed, and is Tiny Seed a fit for you? Can we help you? Do we think we can accelerate your growth? Right? Because if we can't, we don't want to be those VCs that are just
1: like just tell us how awesome we are. No, like seriously, we want like we're here to like really help take you to the next level. And we have to ask these questions also to make sure that we're a good fit for you. Yep. Mm-hmm. Kim
0: has a question. What do you look for as an exit for Tiny Seed?
1: So and we had I, our first acquisition in the yeah. last batch, which was really awesome. And yeah, we've only been around for a few years. And so it's really awesome to have, like say the first exit.
0: Yeah. Like- I mean- it's kind of a hard question because certain founders don't want to exit and so that, you know, that's okay. We have, we have someone in batch one who I think is going to start cutting dividends soon, which is fun. Um, I I think that, you know, traditional VCs, it's like if you don't sell for a billion, then it's a big failure because it doesn't return their fund, and they need, you know, they need you to keep going. And we're not, we're not necessarily in that same same boat, um, or we're not in that same boat. Period. Well, I have
1: to say, if you want to know what kind of boat we're in, um, if you go to slash invest on our website, tinyse.com slash invest you can read our investment thesis, the thing that we give to investors in Tiny State, that kind of explain why our model works and it, it, to get people to invest in us. So you can kind of read about our the way that we look at the business on that side of things, if that's helpful.
0: Yeah. And I think less of about um, exit goals. Mm -hmm. And I think more about revenue goals. Like if someone comes to me and they say, am I fit for tiny seed? One of the questions I ask is, do you want to build a seven or eight figure ARR SaaS company? Meaning do you want to build a one to $30 million, you know bootstrap, mostly bootstrap SaaS company. The answer is yes. Then, you know, then let's talk and figure out if you're fit. If you want to build an amazing $500,000 a year lifestyle business, great. I've done it. It's fucking amazing. Like go do that. But, but you're not a fit for tiny seed. You know, you're not going to be at the, uh, the, whatever the exit multiple or the, um, you know, the, the profit that's going to make sense for any fund to invest in you.
1: Yeah. I got a question actually recently from someone asking if we invest in open source businesses and it's that kind of leads, you know, uh, you know, Open source business, I think, is actually fine. It just depends, again, on that path. Are you going to go to the seven-figure business or is it something that, you know, that's that's not your goal? Is that a goal or not? So, you know, it. I think that is actually applicable to a lot of different um, questions we get
0: yep um last question at least on the books right now we have four more minutes so let's let's crank through this one. Oh, and of course now xander's, <laughs> xander's <laughs> Put like, more
1: is, yeah <laughs> all right which is
0: great kara we will end on time caroline reagan thanks for your question can you elaborate on how you compare to other types of funding and what your value prop is i could be out of touch with other investment terms but it seems like your valuations are you know lower she kind of says lower than other options which is which is true if, if if you wanna if you wanna be two people in a garage and get $10 million valuation with a laptop, then you should go to Sand Hill Road, you should go to Silicon mm-hmm. Valley, right? Yeah, and, we're and, different
1: than traditional VCs and yep. therefore our terms are different. And the kind of things that we fund and the kind of things that we do are gonna be different. And so those those the terms don't compare between this.
0: That's right. Mm-hmm. And and so yeah, if you're gonna go the venture track, you it's like you're on the track to be a hundred or a hundred million or a billion dollar company, grow bigger, go home, raise funding every 18 months. Um, and that's not what we are. And for our model to work, you know, think about we are a two sided marketplace. We have to have terms that are acceptable to founders, which um, we've obviously proven by having a lot of founders accept our terms and, and be very happy with them. The terms themselves, the core of them were um, that Rand Fishkin, founder of Moz, left his venture funded startup, came up with these terms for his next startup. So it's like, by definition, a founder came up with it for himself when he raised money. I, had an, I wrote an angel check for that, and I looked at the terms, and as Anar and I were coming up with terms, we were like, these are actually really good terms, and can we model it so that it also makes sense for the other side of our marketplace, which is the investors who are investing in us? If we don't provide them a return, tiny seed goes away. Yeah. I think it's, it's I- worth
1: saying, also, is like, because you know, when you're accepting terms from a traditional VC, those terms are based on the fact that you're now on the VC roller coaster. You have your seed, you're going to raise your your A, you're going to raise your B, you're gonna, exit for $10 million. Tiny C's terms are set up so that you have a lot more options in the way that you grow your company. The terms are set up so you can just continue to run your business, don't raise any extra money, run your business forever, issue dividends at some point. Um, or they're set up to be, still allow you to raise money afterwards or you know, choose any of these other options. So it's kind of like the terms are also different because they give you more optionality what you need to right. do. Right.
0: And- could you go to a group of angels and raise money at a higher valuation than at tiny seed, yeah, I think so, especially if you're um, if if you have a really good network. Are they, is the dentist down the street or the angel investor who's done five angel investments, are they gonna have a year long program with in-person retreats with 40 literally world-class mentors, like some of the best in SaaS in every respect, at your beck and call to drop an email or to have a chat, I'm exaggerating there, but, and, and have weekly mastermind, we match you up with folks, we have our tiny seat play, but you know, on and on and on. If you don't need any of that, if you don't need the mentorship, the guidance, the network, and you just want money, you should not, you should not come here. You know, like that, our value is so much more.
1: And I should bi- say we have a year long program as compared to typically a three month program as well. And because we right. want to extend all this advice through a full year, um, rather than cramming into like one three month sprint. Cause it also really matters to us that we're good work life matter. Good work life balance matters a lot to us. And so we didn't want to do like a crazy three month sprint. Like some of these other accelerators, we have a full year to kind of like get these things in place to help you kind of watch you grow.
0: Yep. And then uh, I think the last question we'll take today, because we're at the hour, but I like that it's Caroline's follow-up to that question. She says, Can you elaborate on why I would choose Tiny Seed rather than crowdfunding or a revenue-based loan? And the first part is what we just said is that like crowdfunding and a revenue-based loan doesn't get you all of that, which again, I, in my opinion, is more valuable than the money itself. The other answers, though, is crowdfunding puts a heck of a lot of people on your cap table with small investments, usually unsophisticated investors, and it can be um, a challenge to manage over the long term, uh, I will say. Well, it, but And also, if you don't have an audience... Um, you can't just go and raise instant money as a crowdfund, right? It's like the mm-hmm. people we've seen—you've seen folks the in amount the amount of doing work it.
1: that goes into that—is is when you have an audience is, is like yep. almost near as insurmountable.
0: Yep, and everyone—if you look at folks who raised money through crowdfunding—they all have these big followings. And if you mm-hmm. have that, uh, maybe consider it. Personally, we have we considered crowdfunding and decided against it um, for a lot for the reasons that uh, there's a lot of complexity that that it brings up. And it um, also helped
1: that we, you know, our last fund we were. We raised more than we right. we expected, which was awesome. Right. Almost twenty eight million,
0: and <laughs> yeah. then revenue based loans. Similarly, it's like well, in order to get revenue based financing with anyone, you need to be about fifteen or twenty k MRR, and you take out a loan, and then you're on the hook for that. Sometimes there's a personal guarantee, um, which is you know very different than this, and sometimes there's not. But then at a, a clock starts ticking, and then they start taking x percent of your top line revenue out of the business. Six percent is usually the number. With TinySeed, you keep, as a founder, get to choose to keep the money in the business as long as you want. You take your salary up to that cap and it's only when you take a dividend out above that and you decide as the founder when to take it out. So if you wanna grow your business and not pay our investment back for several years, you can do that. It's a flexibility, the founder's in control. And that's, that's another, uh, I think, big difference with Amazon. And like Rob and said,
1: we might get our first dividend check soon, but um, everyone else everyone has been focused on growing their business and that's totally fine with us
0: that was Excellent. awesome. Yeah. yeah. Thanks so much. These are There's great so questions. Many
1: questions. Yeah, I know <laughs> it's, it's super cool. We were coming
0: into this thinking we did one of these last year. Surely there will be no new questions, but there were a lot of really good questions mm-hmm. and we appreciate, uh, all of you. We, uh, I really hope that, you know, you consider uh, applying at a, or at a minimum, um, going to tinyseat.com, getting on the list and we look forward to hopefully yeah. being in touch.
1: Any questions that not answered, just send me an email. Hello at tinyseat.com. All or DM right. on Twitter or anything. All that works.
0: All the stuff. Thanks everybody. We'll see thanks you guys. Thanks
1: everyone. Soon. Bye. Bye.
0: If you made it this far, thanks so much for joining me today through that information session. It was it was fun to listen back to that and I'll be back in your earbuds again next Tuesday morning.